Six Figure Developer Podcast, the podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. With us today is Dave Stanky. Dave is a developer relations engineer with Google Cloud Platform specializing in DevOps, site reliability engineering, and other flavors of technical relationship therapy. He chose, on purpose, to live in New Jersey, where he enjoys baking, indie rock, and fatherhood. Welcome, Dave. Hello, thank you for having me. So before we jump into the meat of things, uh, would you give our listeners a little bit more of an introduction to yourself, you know, perhaps tell them how you got started in the industry? Sure. Um, you know, uh, by accident, certainly. Uh, but I, uh, I majored in psychology and pretty early on realized that I didn't necessarily want to go into psychology as a field. I was doing social psychology, which means, you know, we study uh, emotionally healthy people or, well, equally unhealthy to everyone else and how they make decisions. Um, if anyone is interested in that kind of topic, strongly recommend the book Thinking Fast and Slow, uh, which uh, has, has made the rounds in a lot of non-psychology settings, um, but it's by a real giant of the field. And I started my career as a graphic designer doing print design. Uh, making magazines, remember magazines, uh, posters, <laughs> postcards. And before long, uh, people started, our customers started saying they wanted, uh, they wanted websites. So we said, okay, I guess we can design that. And then I started saying, well, I really want the website to look a little different. You know, I, <laughs> I want it to be that, uh, if I'm making a, a financial report, I want it to be that if, if the number is positive, it's green. And if it's negative, it's red. And that was my first you know, it, it attempt to make uh, code, I was just like, well, I can probably figure that out. I can make an if statement in, uh, in the uh, VB classic context that we were doing at the time. And then just sort of spiraled from there, spiraled downward, I, I suppose, down the stack, <laughs> eventually doing uh, database and, and operation stuff, which is where a lot of my focus was later on uh, in that, uh, that phase of my career, by which I was startup in the startup world for, um, most of my my career, uh, although that majority is is about to shift. Uh, eight years ago, I started at Google as a product manager. Um, launched a couple of of things, didn't quite launch a couple of things, and then three four years ago ish, I switched into our developer relations organization, where now I'm a developer advocate or developer relations engineer, depending on which title I'm wearing at the time. And in that role, what I do is I, I, I focus specifically on our enterprise customers, uh, working with very large organizations, organizations that have legacy stacks, that have established businesses and customers, uh, often that have a lot of institutional cruft uh, in, inside of them. And my, my role is to bring them best practices, right? Bring them the technology of DevOps, uh, the technology of site reliability engineering or SRE, 
and sharing those best practices between customers, between customers and the communities that are out there. There are a lot of great conferences, a lot of great conversations, podcasts like this one where we, you know, kind of collectively figure out what is the best way to do technology these days. And my job is to kind of help shepherd that into our customer organizations and learn from them and help them understand what, uh, what best practices they can learn from each other. All appropriately anonymized, of course, but, you know, of course we see the same patterns in, in all, all these different companies and everyone is, is something that's, is, that I typically find is very uh, rewarding is these, these companies, you, you see it at conferences. You also see it when you go and talk to them in their own uh, context, they're eager to share, they're eager to, eager to, to learn together. You know, of course they've got secret sauce, uh, otherwise they wouldn't be competing, but they're not trying to compete in terms of inventing how we do technology and how we mm-hmm. survive as technologists. We're coming on the heels of the the latest 2021 State of DevOps report, and I've seen some discussions on that and and, and look forward to the release of the, the latest and greatest DevOps reports annually. Are there new and interesting things that are being learned or being discussed or being reported on every year? Or what do we look forward to in the latest State of DevOps report? Oh, it, this is a, a good one. Uh, you know, we didn't do a 2020. Uh, that was a, a strange year, uh, you may have noticed. So this is the <laughs> first one in two years. And uh, if folks aren't familiar, th- this is a, a publication of the DevOps Research and Assessment Group. That's DORA. And DORA is a an organization that existed for nearly a decade, uh, external to Google, and then became part of a Google Cloud in 2018. We, in that in that research group, what we do is we do a really broad survey of technologists. Uh, We study thousands of engineers, thousands of companies and ask, what do they do? And what outcomes do they get from what they do? And then we do a whole bunch of really complicated statistical analysis that I do not understand, but that everyone who does says is very rigorous and come up with this predictive model that says, uh, if you do certain technical capabilities and also cultural and process capabilities, you're more likely to have good results, results that are not just about delivering software, but they're results about delivering value to the business. And so, you know, this has been really a very, a very mature and and consistent body of work. Um, And some of the core findings are perennial. Right. And, and you can read about them in the, the book Accelerate by Nicole Forsgren, who is the founder of this research group, really sums it up really well. But to your question, what's new and interesting? And the answer is a lot. Every year, we study a few particular topics. We go deep dives on a few particular things to learn what's new. And and really, the the bulk of of the report is about these interesting new uh, explorations. And so some of the things we discovered this year is we looked at uh, how people use the cloud. We looked at SRE and DevOps, uh, obviously something that I was particularly interested in. Um, we looked at documentation and how, what makes it good and what is good about it from the business. We looked at some of the new security trends and and really the the, the scary parts about how software uh, supply chains are under threat and how can we secure them. And we also looked at at culture and we looked at at COVID and the interaction between those things and had some really uh, some really interesting findings there. All of the above can be found in the new report. Uh, would love to discuss some of them. I also would certainly encourage everyone to go and, and check out the, the report as well. Uh, you can grab the uh, the latest at bit.ly slash Dora, D-O-R-A dash Sodr, S-O-D-R. So uh, SRE is an interesting term to me. Uh, it, I have been very heavily involved in the DevOps world 
Um, but uh, over the last like couple of years or you know year and a half or so, I've been sort of like moving in the other direction. And uh, so it's actually a new term for me personally. Would you go into it a little bit and how it relates to DevOps? Yeah, it's it's a it's a great question. It's really the thing that we that question of how do these things relate is what we set out to explore in this year's report. SRE has a long history. It actually goes back over 15 years and it started within Google and it's really an approach to operations, right? It's it's how we do operations at Google. It was born out of necessity, right? At Google, we very early started to get into very big scaling uh, challenges. And we started having systems that we were measuring, you know, users, not just with millions, but in billions. And we looked at our operations. Uh, it actually started in our networking group. And we said, the way we're deploying and servicing routers, we can't keep up. You know, we're throwing so many people at this problem and people are expensive. And on top of that, people aren't having any fun doing this work, right? Running around and doing these manual rote tasks we call toil toilsome work. And we said, in, you know, we, in order to keep going, we need to find a new way of approaching this. And so we said, well, what if we approach this using software and as a, a software kind of problem, using kind of the, the, the scale, the, the automation, the fluidity, really, that, that software provides. And I like to say that it, we do with SRE, instead of managing machines, we manage machines that manage machines. And so we write a lot of, our goal is really, you know, don't, don't do something twice, right? And you'll hear this a lot throughout technology. Uh, if you do it a second time, that's when you need to go and automate it. And this is taking that approach to the technical infrastructure. It's certainly very aligned with cloud because a lot of this stuff, uh, you can maybe kind of do it with physical hardware, but you can totally do it when it's cloud and you have infrastructure as code means you're manipulating it as code and you can do it you know, really at scale and, and, and with velocity, um, as SRE has, has developed, it's become a, a framework and a philosophy all its own. It's very user oriented philosophy philosophy. We take an outside in approach, right? So alerts are triggered based on, uh, symptoms. If the user can feel the pain, we want to know about it. If the user is not feeling any pain, don't wake me up in the middle of the night. And, and um, we've developed this language about SLIs and SLOs, that's uh, service level indicators and service level objectives, which is a way of, of objectifying those user experiences and also really quantifying our risk tolerance so that as a, a group, and, and, and this way it very much relates to DevOps because it's about having a, a common language for is our system working? Is it working well enough? What should we do about it? Having really this objective data that we all agree on that then informs our, our action on an ongoing basis. Uh, so this has all been going on inside Google for a long time. In 2016, now that's a long time after the DevOps community had, had really become very big, very global, uh, and people knew about SRE and Google SREs participated in the community, but it was a little bit mysterious. We published a, a book, our first book on, on, on SRE, which is called Site Reliability Engineering. And at that point, they started having this real discourse between the SRE community and the DevOps community. And people looked and they said, well, these look kind of similar. I see, I see a lot of overlap <laughs> here. Uh, are these the same? Are they different? Do I need to pick one? Does, is one better than the other? Mm -hmm. And very early, you know, folks, uh, from, from Google and, and from the community said, no, 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 there, there's, there, there, these are aligned. 
and we we came up with this uh, this metaphor. He said, SRE implements DevOps for like from the mm. perspective of like an object oriented model of the class SRE implements the abstract interface of DevOps. If you're doing SRE, you're doing a flavor of DevOps. Um, there are other flavors, but this is a, a tool to achieve that. And and then that became, you know, relatively well known and people, I think, felt pretty good about that idea. Um, but I wanted to go a little further and you know, people still were kind of like trying to figure out where do I start was a big part of it. Do I start with SRE? Do I start with DevOps? Uh, do I hire uh, an SRE or do I hire a DevOps engineer? And, you know, the answer is usually kind of like, yes, yes, and yes. But uh, <laughs> we wanted to really get a little more, uh, get some data behind it. So what we did this year with our uh, state of DevOps uh, research for the first time is we really looked much deeper at SRE style practices. And what we did is we took the book basically, and I, uh, I partnered with some folks in the Google uh, SRE community to boil it down and to de-jargon it. And just said, you know, do you do things that look like this? Do you do things that look like this? And we said, effectively, if you do those things, then you are practicing SRE, whether you call it SRE or not. And there are organizations out there like Facebook has production engineering, which is very well known, very mature, very similar in a lot of ways to SRE. So there are a lot of people who totally do SRE, they just don't call it SRE. And and actually vice versa, there's also some cases where people, you know, label their departments as SRE, but they don't really practice what we would recognize as SRE. So we kind of de-jargoned it and we put it out there and asked people what they do. And we found that it's more widespread than I had expected. I was surprised. 52% of the respondents in our survey said that they practice some of these SRE kinds of techniques. And this is across all sizes of organizations. So it's not just for huge, you know, planetary scale, uh, digital native kinds of companies. This stuff works across so many industries, so many types of teams. And that was one of the things that, that you know, we really want people to, to, to share. This is why we're sharing this, why we started sharing it from the book. And now then we added the Site Reliability Workbook, which is a lot of great case studies of organizations like Home Depot, Evernote that have put this into practice. And with this research, we're, we're going even a step further and we're saying SRE can be uh, really a, a, an implementation of operations that fits and, and enables just about any DevOps practice. So if your organization wants to do the DevOps, uh, what you'll see is that the door uh, program will say, here's a good approach to product, right? Mm. The, the lean product framework is part of the Dora's kind of DevOps model. And what we're saying is, uh, here is our model for operations. And it looks kind of like uh, this SRE approach. So there are tools and more importantly, uh, really, there is culture and, and communication. Another thing we found is that uh, teams that where operation staff are really involved in the planning and the strategy and prioritization, we like to say where operations has a seat at the table, they're outperforming those where operations is kind of, uh, you know, the end of the story. In some ways, this is obviously like DevOps 101. Don't just throw your code over the wall. Uh, and But we're showing a, a little more detailed about like what happens when you do you now you know, it, 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 there's evidence that that really does it, it does hurt you in the long run. You mentioned that that SRE is is uh, an implementation of DevOps, and that there's these uh, certain techniques that, when applied, means basically that you're doing SRE. 
um, what what does the SRE, I don't know, starter kit kind of look like? What what is the the techniques that SRE would suggest um, kind of to get going? There are a couple different ways to start going at SRE, and I have some opinions about which ones work. Um, one thing that can be a challenge sometimes is you pick up uh, the SRE book or you go to an SRE conference, and you'll hear a lot of stories about SLOs and composite SLOs and what kind of formulas to use and um, percentiles of uh, your your latency graphs, things like that, which you know engineers usually can handle, right? We like math. But at the same time, when you start to try and graph that onto your day-to-day, it can be really abstract. It can feel really academic. And um, I, I've worked with, with places, teams that say, uh, SRE sounds great, but we just don't have time to, to do that stuff, right? What I think is important, and I like to go back to where we started with SRE and say, uh, how can SRE help me get time? How can it help me you know, have a more human approach uh, treating treating my operations staff better. You know, operations folks are really prone to burnout. And another thing we found is that SRE helps them to not have so much burnout. Uh, this was an, a finding in this year's study. And so one of those things is that toil reduction, right? Toil is, it's that work that that keeps you running. It keeps the, the systems running, but they're running in place. Um, they're, they keep the lights on, but it's not strategic and it's not going to help you scale up your applications. It's not going to help you control costs, um, both of which are important for growing the business. Uh, the classic uh, example of toil is when you SSH into a machine to restart Tomcat or or an, a web server. I say Tomcat because that's one I used to do all the time. And yeah, you've stopped your OOM. You can, your server is going to run you know, for another 24 hours, but then it's going to happen again. And you're going to do the same thing again. And you're going to get frustrated and you're going to miss steps and it's going to be late at night and you're going to be a couple cocktails in and you're going to do it wrong. And so none of this is is bad. It's a lose, lose. It's not good for the human and they don't enjoy it and they're not good at it. Um, So one of the things we do is identify toil and, and, and the work of SRE, a lot of it really is about learning, processing, uh, and then, uh, you know, applying project kind of work. So identify that toilsome work and and then invest in the work to make it go away, to automate it. Let the, let the robot do that work, move on to the next piece of toil. So that's one of the first things we can do to get started with SRE, to have the time to start thinking about our systems in that more abstract way, using those formulas and that, that framework. Another one is about rationalized alerting. So as I mentioned, we don't want to get woken up in the middle of the night if our users are perfectly happy, right? Um, And we've all had this experience, right? We get paged uh, and we get uh, told, oh, the uh, the CPU is spiking on your machines. And you're like, you go look at the website and it seems fine. And I, I know what I used to do is I would snooze that alert and then I would go back to sleep and I would snooze my alarm because now I'm tired and I can't do good work the next day. All I've done is just irritate myself. Um, And, you know, yeah, the computer may have been feeling stressed out, but I don't care about the computer's feelings. I care about my user's feelings. So we want to minimize that. And at the same time, we've all had that experience where the user calls up or, you know, your salesperson says, I got our biggest customer on the phone. They're saying the thing doesn't work. And I'm like, well, my alerts are all green. My, My dashboard's all green. They're wrong. And it's like, no, they're not wrong. They're right. It's not working for them. 
an example of for that I always had was uh, I would use monitors that would just say like, is it a 200 or is it a 500? If it's a 200, we're good. Mm. But you know what? You get a 200 response 10 seconds after you requested it. That's no good. So defining that stuff in terms of user facing symptoms. And then the place where we get that sanity is by turning off all the ones that don't correspond to user facing impact. Uh, and sometimes this can take, it's, it's not a bad exercise to kind of go too far sometimes and just say, let me turn off all these alerts. If I'm not looking at it, if not actionable in the moment by me uh, or my, my operation staff, it's not worth alerting on. We might want to log it. We, you know, we, SRE says we, you know, log everything, um, but don't look at it until it's valuable to your business and your users. So that then helps, you know, again, not only free up time, but also free up quality time. When your engineers, when your when your operations engineers are getting good night's sleep, and you know can then come in in the morning and and do a, a real project based piece of work to say, how do we evolve the system? How do we make it more resilient, more scalable? Make it you know really stronger for the next problem. You know all the problems we've already had, we automated the solutions. You know, we don't expect there not to be problems, but we do expect them to be interesting. And the way to do that is by approaching them from that level of, of, of how do we apply our unique human brains to this unique problem that we've never seen before. So you can do all of that without necessarily getting into some of the, the SLI, SLO stuff. I, I think it's a great exercise to start early with defining an SLI because that forces you to think from a user perspective. But the, the deep you know, techniques of that, a lot of times you're just not ready for that until you have come up for air, you know, get, take, take a deep breath. And that toil reduction and uh, 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 alert rationalization are the way that you can, can, can get that breathing room. How would you go about introducing SRE techniques or, or practices into an organization? You know, we, we've got our application into production now. We've got some pipelines and things like that. We've got some automation. We, we heard a podcast. We read a book. We, we heard Dave say that we can turn off all alerting. So now where do, where do we go? What, what do we need to, to focus on first? I don't like getting woken up in the middle of the night because the CPU was spiking, but I also don't know how to gather the metrics on how happy are our users. Yeah, and this it is a journey and um and it's ongoing and you know the, the truth is that that at maturity an SRE practice is one of continuous iteration. And you you're you're asking uh, I think an important question of how do we know if the users are happy? Well, there's always going to be some indirection there and it's always going to take work trying to get closer and closer to modeling that experience in our systems but you know of course there's there's judgment there is subjectivity there and uh and so when we get to maturity we can have those conversations we can fine-tune them how do we get to maturity well the first thing i'd say is is language introducing language is this the place to start a, an sre journey and it's really important that we introduce that language not only for our operations staff but for their stakeholders this iterative conversation of reliability really includes uh developers includes product owners it, it it needs executive support um and and the place to start with that is by having people use these new terms use terms like toil uh you know i like to see an organization where that word is being used by the the cio or even the ceo and say toil reduction is a goal um using the those language of of uh 
of SLOs and saying, you know, user facing uh, reliability is a goal and, and understanding that reliability takes work and being prepared to prioritize that, uh, that work, uh, so that we're not just constantly running the, the feature hose, but we are making sure that we're delivering according to our promises to the user. So start with language. Um, the other thing that is really essential, and I think this applies to DevOps transformations, this is one of those things that we've kind of discovered independently between the DevOps uh, practice and the SRE practice is start small and iterate. So pick one team, pick one customer uh, journey, uh, pick one, pick, start with one SLI, a model to say, here's our, our one most important interaction on the website and we want to model it from a user perspective and we're going to monitor it. And we're not even necessarily going to enforce any consequences about SLO violation. We're just going to try and understand this from a user perspective. And it takes time, right? That team is going to make some stumbles along the way. They need to learn these, these, this language. They need to practice the language. They need to immerse in it. And as they do, <clears throat> they're going to learn how SRE applies to their own organization. It needs to be um, adapted into that organization. As they do, then create a, a community of practice and share. And importantly, share not only successes, but failures. A failure means we've learned something and we want to celebrate the fact that we've learned it and can teach others about it. Uh, another one of these kind of philosophical overlaps between these different movements is the idea of blamelessness. And in SRE, we really prioritize blameless postmortems to say, if something went wrong, we don't want to find the person to blame. What we do is we we come out from the, the the assumption that the person made the best decision they could given the information that they had at the time. If something went wrong, something's wrong with the information, how do we fix that system so that the next person won't you know make that bad decision that they're not happy about? And so then, you know, sharing all of that experience throughout the organization and again, rewarding learning through failure. Uh, Etsy has a, something where every year uh, they give an award to the person who creates the most interesting failure in production and uh, then who talks about it. You know, you can't get that re reward <laughs> if you cover up your mistakes. You have to show, wow, no one expected that. That was really interesting. Uh, and then here's what we've done about it. And here's how we're why it's not going to happen again in exactly the same way. This goes all the way up and we see that, you know, executive support, leadership support is really essential. Uh, you know, executives need to not only prioritize reliability, hey, this stuff matters. They need to prioritize the journey to reliability, which is to say, uh, again, we're going to learn. We might take some steps backward on, on the way there. And, and as, a, as an executive, I'm going to, you know, speak this language. I'm going to practice and demonstrate blamelessness, really essential to success. If you've been in this industry long enough, you, you'll probably have remembered the days that it, it took a hope and a prayer just to get a, a website deployed and up and running and continue running. So any of these practices that can help us automate as much away in delivering and deploying and recovery and keeping the applications running and serving and producing the results that we want is, is something that we, we should all strive for. And that's something we see the journey of an application kind of uh, reflects the journey of, of the industry that as people come to depend on applications on the web, you know, this is no longer uh, something that is optional, 
right? And people really rely on the applications being available and, and having, you know, re- reliability, we say, is the ability for uh, a team to meet their promises to the users, whether implicit or explicit promises, right? The user showed up yesterday and said, I like this thing, I'm going to use it. Today, we need to give them the thing that they've come to expect. Um, we say reliability is the most important feature of any application. And as something matures, as it gets more users, and they have a, a more of a collective weight of expectation, that's a good thing. But it also is a responsibility. Um, so that happens on an individual application throughout its maturity. And as you say, it's happening as an industry that more and more we need to be attentive to reliability and to, to keeping up you know, with what our, our users need from us. There are more and more things like that not only is, is, is important for business, but can be important for, for people's lives. Uh, and we, depending so much on software these days, uh, we need to take it seriously. Uh, that doesn't mean it can't be fun. SRE is totally fun, but it also is a way to, to, to really live up to that responsibility. So several times now you've mentioned SLI and SLO, and you mentioned um, choosing a user interaction to put an SLI on. And uh, I think you said something akin to having an SLO be an action that you would take if the SLI failed or something like that. Uh, What are SLI and SLO and how do you know that you've chosen them or or what, what would be a practice for picking them effectively uh it there is no golden uh golden uh, arrow that's not a word silver bullet um let's go with golden arrow i like that there's no golden arrow for picking your slis and slos appropriately which is why they need to be continuously iterated and reviewed with stakeholders across the board but stepping back um so to to break down a little bit of those definitions so sli is the service level indicator it means in aggregate, how is this service doing? And and we model service there. We break it down. A given application or service is expected to have multiple SLIs. Uh, each SLI reflects a, a user journey or a key interaction. So you might have one about logging in or about uh, processing a payment or, or simply about fetching a page. Fetching a homepage can be a, a user intent and then a user you know response to the user. So I wanted something. Did I get it? Um, then what we do is we need to model that in a way that our our monitoring observability tools can can understand it. And so, uh, you know, a common approach if we look at like an, um, an availability SLI is a very uh, common place to start. Availability SLI is typically a ratio of good interactions over total interactions. So the the denominator there is all of the times that a user tried to access that page. Um, and then the numerator is all of the times that we responded to the user appropriately, which we would usually model with um, HTTP codes. So 200s are good, 500s are bad, uh, 300s and 400s are usually considered good, though, depending on the application that may not be. Um, and then that ratio, you know, out of all the, the requests, how many of them got a 200 response? Uh, and then we usually multiply it by 100 because people like percentages, so we'll get 99.2% let's say. And so that's how our SLI is, is doing. Then the SLO, uh, which really is like where SREs spend most of their time is sort of like worrying about SLOs and trying to defend our SLOs, we say. The SLO is the target, is to say, okay, we're measuring this all throughout time. 
what do we want it to be? What's good enough? You know, um, and you'll typically express this in nines. So two nines is 99%. Five nines is 99.999%. And if you want to uh, rile up an SRE, uh, just casually say that you think it should probably be five nines. And they will say, my gosh, that's really hard. And that's really at the heart of, of this whole approach is to say, yeah, five nines is really hard. It's expensive and it may not be worth it. Uh, so what we want to do is look at our business objectives, look at how much we're willing to pay for reliability and look at what our users really need. The user doesn't need a hundred percent. I know that users don't need a hundred percent because they've never gotten it. And yet we all seem to have jobs. So we're not really shooting for a hundred percent and we're not going to get it even if we're shooting for it. What we want to do is use these tools to have a conversation about what are we shooting for? What really matters to our users? Is it you know, one and a half nines, is it three and a half nines? That's a very big difference in terms of how much velocity we can expect for feature development and how much uh, human time and machine time we can expect to invest in keeping this, uh, this service at that level. So defining that SLO based on input from the user. Now, how do you get input from the user? There are so many signals. There are things like uh, CSAT surveys. There are things like abandonment of, of websites. You know, you can use your analytics to figure out are users happy right now. You can ask them directly. You can do um, uh, uh, user research where you watch them click through your website and see what makes them happy. Um, and all of those kinds of signals are something that we kind of process and, and work in through the, the the conversation with our product managers, with our UX designers, with our uh, customer support people. They're some of the best input to our users getting what they expected from this website. And uh, I think one of the best exercises that engineering teams can do is go sit with those people, you know, answering the phones with complaining users. It can often be really surprising what people are complaining about. And a lot of times you can come up with really quick fixes that you're like, oh, I never knew anyone cared about that. Uh, I was focusing on some deep technical thing over here. Turns out I can just increase net happiness of our users with something that is, is trivial for me. So figuring out what do the users care about and how much of it do they need and how much of it are we prepared to provide? You know, How much resource do we have? That is an ongoing dynamic discussion that, that will never end because even if you get it right, it's going to change tomorrow. And, uh, and that is what keeps... SREs in business, not the toilsome work, but the more you know, interesting uh, academic intellectual work of, of crunching through this, all of this, these signals and prioritizing. Yeah. And how quickly can we respond and recover and change lanes and, and change direction? A great point about recovery, you know, a big part of, of reliability, you know, there's, there's two sides to that coin, right? Um, and you see this in, in the DORA research, um, the, the metrics of, of the change failure rate versus time to recover. Uh, and you'll see it in, in your, your uh, SLO in the error budget, right? The error budget is the inverse of your SLO. It's how much uh, tolerance you have for risk and how much of it have you used up. The, uh, the way to preserve your error budget is either to fail less often or to fix things faster after you do fail. And SREs bring you know, different bags of tricks across both of those dimensions. Another thing, and some of the, the nuance here becomes, well, how can we fail, but have that failure be less painful? So one of the things that, that we love to do uh, in, in our practice at Google is progressive rollouts, uh, a canary deployment, or uh, sometimes teams will do something like a blue-green. Usually we do a progressive, so we'll deploy a canary release to 1% of users. Now, if that 
reliability drops from three nines to, you know, one nine, 90%. That's a serious regression, but it's only for 1% of users. And, and you know, we may have upset those users, but we still kind of think that in aggregate, we'd rather upset a few users than a lot of users. And we do know that you got to break some eggs, right? Adding features is always going to come with risk. Um, something like 70 plus percent of outages are caused by changes to an application, whether software or configuration. But if we don't make changes, we're not keeping up and, and our users are not going to be happy. So we're just trying to, to find that balance um, and take really informed and careful risks. Yeah, it's usually DNS changes. It's always DNS. <laughs> so so what else? Have we missed anything? Are there things that you want people to be sure to be aware of or, or keep in mind? Are there particular resources that you want to point people towards? Well, I did. I accidentally said the words error budget, and I didn't probably set up properly for that. That is a scary term. So I think it's worth, uh, let me mention briefly, the as I, as I mentioned, it's the inverse of your SLO. So your SLO says we're shooting for 99%. Well, that means that by definition, we're accepting 1% errors or, or, or no, not living up to the user promise. Um, and that may not be the right number for any particular thing, but there's going to be a number that is where we can tolerate that. And we call that your error budget. What it means is that you have the ability and in fact, even the obligation to spend that budget because we know we can keep our users happy. We've, or we believe we can keep our users happy based on the signals that we've had at that SLO. That means that error budget is ours to use. It's ours to experiment with. Sometimes things go wrong without us expecting it and we're going to burn our error budget. Sometimes we take risks that are knowing and we're going to burn our error budget. When we have a lot of error budget, we should use it. We should deploy new features, or maybe we should try new things uh, in how we're serving our application. When we're out of error budget, that's when we're in the doghouse with the users, and we need to slow it down and say, "All right, we're gonna we're, we're gonna you know release at a lower cadence." And importantly, um, something is a soapbox I've got is that if you're slowing down your release cadence uh, for reasons good or bad, don't keep developing. <laughs> Don't write up a big bucket of code and take on deployment debt. Instead, you should reply those resources to reliability. And some of these may be engineers who don't think they know a lot about infrastructure, but how can they write more reliable code or how can they contribute or how can they learn from their partners in, in, in uh, the infrastructure team so that we're delivering on that most important feature, which is the reliability. You asked about resources, of course, and yes. Um, resource number one, sre.google. Yes, that's one of those new fancy TLDs that is not a .com or a .org. It's sre.google. You'll find all three of the books that we've published uh, available for free online, or you can get links to order them in paper form or e-reader form. Um, the next thing uh, I'd like to point out as a resource is the reliability engineering discussion group. So I moderate this once a month. Uh, it's a lean coffee format where it's users suggest the topics and you'll find information about that at bit.ly slash reliability dash discuss. Uh, everyone's welcome. Uh, people at all different levels of the reliability journey. And finally, uh, definitely check out this year's Dora report. Again, that's at bit.ly slash uh, Dora, D-O-R-A dash Soder, S-O-D-R. You'll find the latest report, including the, uh, our deep dive into SRE. What has been helpful in your career that you might share with those just getting started or those looking to level up their own careers? I would always say uh, being humble and, and inquisitive, um, as well as optimistic. I, I used to say that my, my superpower is my idiot optimism. 
And uh, if something, if I'm worried about something, if we don't know if it's going to go, well, let's come at it with some perspective of some na- naive approach to think that there, we, we believe that this could turn out okay, um, but we're going to ask a lot of questions along the way to figure it out. Uh, you'll see a lot of discussions these days on Twitter about, you know, uh, gatekeeping and if you're a real engineer or, or if you're not. And I mean, you know, we're all learning this as we go. We're all making it up as we go. Uh, the best engineer is the one that is willing to ask questions and uh, able to learn something new from their their peers. Um, I think it's it's important. I, my gosh, you're going to get me on a big soapbox here. But I think it's important to recognize that we do this in teams. Um, no worthwhile application for the past several decades has been written by a single person, which means the most important thing we do is to know how to work with each other and learn from each other. Um, getting to just becoming comfortable with your coworkers, learning from them, creating psychological safety. That is technical advancement of a team and of a career. I like to say that uh, the work product of an engineering team is not code, is not servers, it's not even architecture. The work product is that team itself and their ability to communicate, their ability to learn together and the trust that they have in, in, in each other. That thing that they develop is becomes their ability to respond to new information, new challenges, because there's always going to be something new. And when there's not, uh, we're not going to be happy and neither are uh, our businesses. Yeah, that's fantastic. Where can our listeners go to follow you and keep up with what you're working on? Find me on Twitter, David Stanky, D-A-V-I-D-S-T-A-N-K-E. I would love to chat with you there. All right, Dave, thanks so much for joining us today. This has been great. Thank you. I've really enjoyed the conversation. That was Dave Stanky. Dave is a developer relations engineer with Google Cloud Platform, specializing in DevOps, site reliability engineering, and other flavors of technical relationship therapy. He chose, on purpose, to live in New Jersey, where he enjoys baking, indie rock, and fatherhood. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at SixFigureDev.com. And catch us live each week on Twitch, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at SixFigureDev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. 